Hey everybody and hello humans. It is time for Not A Robot's DC Comic Review Show. This dynamic duo of capricious comic book connoisseurs have returned once again to talk about this week's latest in DC Comics. My name is Josh, and as always, my co-host Anthony... What up, everybody? ...is with me to divulge, dissect, and discuss nearly every issue that DC puts out. If you got any requests for us to cover one, just let us know. Reed is taking a holiday vacation on this podcast, and he'll be back to join us on the next one. In this episode, we are reviewing Detective Comics 1033, Action Comics 1028, Red Hood 52, Batman Superman 15, Wonder Woman 769, Batman Beyond 50, Justice League Dark 29, Black Adam's Endless Winter Special, and Death Metal, The Secret Origin. If you want to talk about, debate, answer, laugh at, correct, or otherwise comment on anything we say or have said, there is a contact form on notarobotpodcast.com. You can shout at us there. And we are also on Twitter at Not a Robot Show. Anthony is at WaltGator93. And The Missing Reed is also on Twitter at PGH underscore Reed. We all answer our show mails, so uh, shout out to us. Now is the time to say a big huge thank you to the people who help us support the podcast. They subscribe to our Patreon, some for as low as a dollar a month, so that we can make sure to keep bringing you more and better content. This is the Not A Robot Anti-Beatbot Must Be A Human shout-out and roll call, and that shout-out goes to our humans Weird Science Jim, Blue Mondays, Hollister, Torpedo Face, and Rotch Crockett. A big salute to you, and an even bigger thank you. So what are you waiting for? Sign up and show us you just might be a human after all and get a shout-out on the Not A Robot Anti-Beatbot Must Be A Human Roll Call. Now, this is the time where we usually go over the Twitter polls, but instead of Twitter polls, we are doing a giveaway. I have announced that on Twitter and our other social media platforms. One lucky person is going to win a $25 gift card offered digitally. And uh, all you have to do to qualify to win that is be a member of our Patreon. Be one of our patrons. You can be there for as low as a dollar a month. You get early access to all of our shows and all of our additional content, such as Kids Corner, the movie review shows, our Dream Team team-ups, and so much more. So what are you waiting for? Get on over there, give us that dollar, and get your chance to win 25 back. Spend it anywhere you want. And with that... We're going to get into the books. We will start things right off with Detective Comics 1033, written by Peter J. Tomasi, with art by Brad Walker, Andrew Hennessy, and Dave McCaig, with letters by Rob Lee. Walker and Hennessy covered that cover with the help of Brad Anderson. In this issue of Detective Comics, we get what I feel was an incredibly quick read without feeling as though I wasn't getting enough. It went by real fast, but it was a hell of a story. We also get to touch on a few different things as we move through the panels, but first, man, that cover. It felt really dramatic, and I loved the way it looked. The pencils, inks, and colors were all really stand out throughout the entire issue as well, with everybody bringing their A-game for wrapping up the title for the year. My only issue with the art at all, just like in last issue, is some panels with Hush's face in the earlier parts of the book. 
Um, they just look a little too cartoony for everything else that's drawn. But that's really just me being picky. Other than that, I loved it throughout. Now, the story starts out with Batman feeling emotional as he is swinging through Gotham with his son at his side. And that tone carries through the book till the end, but it's definitely not in a negative way. We get the clear impression here that Batman misses time with his kid, and even says that Batman and Robin have a certain ring to it, and always will. Batman and the currently former Robin crash through a window together and go after Hush, who has the rest of the Bat family sedated and prepped for surgery. If you remember from the last issue, he kidnapped them all and was going to just harvest their organs and sell them on the black market. As Bruce goes after Hush through a hail of bullets, Damien rescues the captured teammates, Hush gets the better of Batman momentarily, and Damien saves him by stabbing Hush in the back with like 20 scalpels, and then he starts to pummel on him and let him know that Damien knows that Tommy tried to kill Bruce even way back when they were kids. That gives Bruce the time he needs to get back on his feet, and he takes the fight back to Hush. Damien tries to follow, but Batman pins him to the wall with some batarangs and tells him that it's personal. Bruce drops his cape and his gloves rather dramatically. This is a real man fight. This is not between two costume characters. These are two lifelong frenemies that are going to duke it out. And, uh... They uh they they go to they go to blows. Batman wipes the floor with him rather quickly as Damien offers a very sarcastic golf clap and a comment on the irony of using Hush's own bandages to tie him up. As Bruce begins to say that he would like to finish their conversation from earlier, he turns around to see that he has been Batmaned by his very own kid. Poof, he disappeared. I personally loved that part. Oh same. <laughs> <laughs> Out on the rooftop, they do continue the conversation, and they both make it clear where they stand. Batman wants him to come back, and Damien cannot come back under his father's shadow or his way of doing things. Before the issue closes, we're given an important two pages dedicated to former police officer Nakano winning the mayoral election. This is important because it starts to shape the future of Gotham going forward and the stories that will be told within. The last three pages are of Batman using the cave for the last time and grabbing a few last things from the mansion. He also collects all of the animals, both dogs, the cat, and the cow, before he finally says goodbye to Alfred, and then to Wayne Manor, as they all drive off to his new place in the city. But, um, what are they going to do with that cow? I was actually the same exact thing. I'm like, are they bringing the cow in the new place? So I want to see that. I want to see the cow. He loaded the cow up. I guess the cow's going to live in the brownstone, maybe down in the basement. I enjoyed yeah, this issue, yeah. and I gave this one an 8.25 out of 10. What were you going to say, Anthony? Because he even says, oh, we never go back to you. I'm like, well, even without you, I'm like, okay, cool. So where are you going to put him exactly now? Because he's in the car, so we're assuming he's going to take him to his new place. Right. They're, they're, they're all driving off and on to new adventures. and uh, uh, Maybe maybe he built a, a stable on the back of that brownstone. We don't know. <laughs> I don't know how big his new place is. Apparently because, pretty darn big. <laughs> uh, I, hopefully so, because you have all of these animals going around. And what were your thoughts stuff, on the issue, man? I'm going to give us a 8.5. I could go up even higher to be 8.75 and love this issue. Um, great action. We got um, Damien Batman working side by side we got more on um just Damien as as a whole 
that was one of my favorite parts of this issue. It's just whenever he shows up, we get that progression of like wh- where is his future going to lead? Obviously, right now it's gonna it's not gonna lead to becoming a Robin because he turned down the R. Um, and for that, we do see um Nikana winning, which we all kind of knew that was gonna happen. But just the face that he had, he didn't even know he was going to win. But his wife, it it may it may just meet me like reading too much to it. She seemed as if she knew he was going to win. Like I feel like that she is somehow not a good player. I feel yeah, like I think she's you're probably the right there. I can see her being. Mia, 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 which I was still kind of disappointed that I just died down. Um, for this, but this being a two-part issue, or so would you kind of be a two or three-part issue? I mean, story. Uh, I want to say that. Two yeah, ago. technically, it's a three-parter. Yeah, but like, it does it does quiet. feel more like a two-issue story. Yeah. Um, the art was great. Um. Yeah, okay, yeah, the uh, I enjoyed the uh, it was a great team up, easily one of my favorite books th- this week. Yeah, mine too, mine too. There was emotion, there was, there was progression, and there was action, and I loved it. Um, speaking of which, we will go ahead and move on to the next book in the line. We have Action Comics 1028, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by John Romita Jr., Klaus Jansen, and Brad Anderson. Letters by Dave Sharp, with the cover by Romita Jr., Jansen, and Anderson. Anthony, what happened in Action Comics this week? You got it. This is the last issue of Bendis, and I'm so excited. House of Kent, Chapter 7, which... Okay, guess what? I guess the last issue we didn't fully conclude... Um, I thought it did. We even see Brainiac 5 on the cover, which I'm not a fan of when I covers like, dupe you, because we all know, because he isn't in this issue, so I hate when, like, they dupe you. This is the last issue of his run. If you're gonna have characters who don't even show up in the cover, at least maybe it could be, like, a character who've been appearing all, all throughout the action comics run. But to have him there, it was, it was like, why? That was unnecessary. But that being said, we saw we saw our issue with Paragon Shock of the Risa News, and surprisingly, the art is actually pretty good in the scene. Usually, the art in this run has been awful, been pure crap. Um, if I want to nitpick, then yeah, sure, I can find something that was wrong with it. But from what we've been getting, the art actually looks pretty good. The only time I ha- had an issue with this art was later on when some guy comes in to give Jimmy coffee. His head just was a bit odd for me. It threw me off. We first see him as if, like, a normal-sized human being, but then once he's next to Superman, he looks like a midget. So even, like, it was a bit strange because even, like, you see Jimmy in the background. There's a huge difference in the height. Um, Now, the whole reveal of how Jimmy... Almost their parent was actually straight to the point, and again, it was surprising. It was not a lot of dialogue to read because this is Bennis. He loves to write a lot of dialogue. I enjoy the scene. This is probably one of my favorite scenes of this issue, even of Bennis's last few issues in general. It wasn't too dialogue heavy, it had good art, 
we get a moment of later on, Perry someone said a smile, like he's proud of Jimmy of what he's like accomplished. Which again is surprising because it was a great moment for both Perry and for Jimmy. Now through all of this, Superman gets a little bit of a note saying that he received an update on Connor Kent's situation. The Hall of Justice. Now is um the Adams identity is that a secret or do people know who he is? You know, honestly, I've just not followed this. You're talking about Ryan Choi as the Adam? No, I think it's it. It looks the like original it's Ray guy? Palmer. Ray Palmer. Yeah, um, do people know who it is. Who? I was under the impression that people knew that Ray Palmer was the Adam. Okay, um, gotcha. If if it's Adam Choi, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I it's possible that Adam Choi may be a secret, but I know what you're saying. It's it, it's like they're they're kind of keeping his identity hush hush for some reason. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, because second that, that threw me off because we're in the hall dresses and we see um, Superman, Mister Terrific, the Adam, who we don't really know who it is from a from how the art looks like. It could go either way. Uh, we see Superboy, both John and Connor, and Supergirl. Who actually, I just realized that she was in, in the scene. For some reason, when I was reading this before, I had forgot she was. I didn't even know she was actually in the scene because she makes again zero presence. She makes zero effort of even being in here. Yeah, she's just there as a presence. There's no contribution from her at this point, which is a little sad. But yeah, it really is. Um, and they they do mention about how he's a clone of half Lex and half Superman. And how his powers might be fading away. He might not have his powers later on. Which was, in my opinion, a nice nod or a nice um, foreshadowing of the Suicide Squad. This is easy where we could see the setup of it. Of how he's in the book and how he won't be all like powerful and OP member. Mm-hmm. Now, as they're flying off to see the Kents, again, at this point, we're only just seeing, um, all right, so here we see, um, Clark and Connor, they're flying off, and at this point, for some reason, due to the art, it would be nice to have the whole team flying around, but no, we don't. But, they arrive to the Kents' house, and Clark, he suggests to Connor that he stays with the Kents to keep them safe. And this is where we see Clark saying goodbye to each of his super family members. And the dialogue that um, Carl just gives, because throughout this issue, she only has, I believe, just only one piece of dialogue, which really was a bit odd, because all she says to John is like, so, your Brainiac friend from the 31st century, what's his deal? It, that was a little weak and completely unnecessary. It was. I'm like, are you trying to make a nod to when you were part of that team? Like, if so, you could have done a whole lot of a better job. I read it as just really, really bad generic girl talk. So, like, your friend Brainiac, what's his deal? It makes no sense. I'm like, are you trying to, like, get with him? Like, yeah, because, like, by saying, what's his deal? Like, you're trying to, like, you know, find, like, his status? Like, it was unnecessary to... And, and unnecessary and below the character. Yes. 
and unfortunately, how I said before, how the um, part one they and the Daily Planet office was great artwork. After that, once we got into Hall of Justice and even here, it goes downhill a lot, which is a real shame. We even get a team up with Batman and Robin. Unfortunately, the dialogue is just, again, pure crap. John departs after saying goodbye to Lois and Clark. And they have this line that I don't like whenever someone can like time travel, time machine, or taking it there. Oh, I gotta go right now. Don't wanna be late. I'm like, how can you be late with a time machine? It, I just <laughs> really hate when they when people do that. I was watching, no, I was reading one of the latest graphic novels from the Power Rangers, and he's like, yeah. oh, oh wait, sorry, I'm late. I'm like, you ha- you came back from the future. How can you be late? And that's my that's one of my biggest pet peeves in a time and just time travel in a comic or show or what. It's just annoying. Very. And we also just leave the issue which is Superman going off into duty, which the two best parts of this issue was all taking place in the Derek Planet. Was the beginning scene, great artwork, great storytelling, and the last scene with how it just is was the artwork was actually pretty good. And how he just goes right off to save people. Unfortunately, I was thinking of what to give this. And I was like, you know what? I want to give this a 6.5. But I'm like, no, 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 no. It's only a 6.5 because the last like, 10, 20 issues of Comic Comics have been pure crap. But compared to like, a legit issue, I can't go anything higher than a 5.5. Because like, those two scenes cannot save the whole book. No, they can't. And to be honest with you, there I had a few issues with this thing as well. It was cool to see Connor going to the Kent farm and all of that, but I mean, there really wasn't any other place to put him. Yeah, it is great that they're that the Daily Planet is done being under investigation by the FBI, but mm-hmm. it's by way of Jimmy Olsen owning ha- owing owning half of the Luther fortune, which is, I mean, ultimately. This felt like it would have been better served at the end of the Jimmy Olsen book rather than an additional issue in Action Comics. Um, the well, focus only, is... Did you read the, that book, that run? I only read some of it. But in that in that run, this did happen. Yeah. You know, but a lot of other goofy things did do that just turned me off from the title from oh, the get Oh, that's why I didn't touch it. I was like, no. Yeah, I was, this is... So I read, the, I read the issue where, you know, this kind of stuff came place but all the other goofy stuff I, I i just completely left alone um but there there were a couple particular spots in here one being uh the 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 ditzy generic girl talk from supergirl the only real line the dialogue that she's mm-hmm. got here and that's sad and, and it's she she points out that crypto's there later but that that that's it man um there is there's a dig in here somewhere um i'm having trouble finding it now but i want to say that there's an insult in here somewhere about how uh the super kids or how how nobody can see jonathan kent um outside of the super sons mm-hmm. um and then this this final page here uh this isn't this isn't a goodbye. This isn't a romantic um, pass on to the next creative team. This is literally just um, 
basically a, lo- a love letter for himself. And that's when kind you say of, last page. You mean the last page with the with the computer? The last page or... with the computer. The image that's on the screen is actually his upcoming oh, Justice League, League book. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks, Dan, for the ride. Dan Dio is the guy that gave him a job. Um, the the only thing, thanks to every single book person who worked on this book, past, present, and future. That's kind of a generic thing. Um, thanks to all the fans, especially super fans with themed websites. That's in regards to, um, if I'm not mistaken, Ange, who was a big, huge Twitter person that just totally fanboyed Brian Michael Bendis and everything that he did. Jar Jar gets a tap, uh, a tap of the hat, and then he says, thanks to Fraction's awesome ending. He's awesome. Fraction is the one that was responsible for the Jimmy Olsen book. However... Um, Matt Fraction is somebody all somebody that that Bendis has completely crapped on before. Um, you can search his previous social media posts, and he makes fun of Matt Fraction's Daredevil like really viciously. And um, I just I when I when I looked into all of the stuff that I found on this last page here, and then I started looking into that kind of those kind of things. I lost even more respect from Bendis. Now, granted, as far as the art goes, this is probably the best-drawn issue um, of Action Comics since Bendis took over. Yeah. Uh, that said, it is still mediocre. Um, I I see better work in the children's release Archimaniacs, to be honest with you. Um, it's completely trash. I didn't enjoy it, and... It is better than most other things that have come out, and even with that, I'm still only going to give this a 5 out of 10. Fair. That's about all it can be. Hopefully, we're going to get a new direction coming in Action Comics after the break from Future State. And uh, speaking of new directions, that's where we will head off next with Red Hood 52, written by Sean Martinbro, with art by Tony Atkins, Moritat, Stefano Gaudino, and Paul Mounts, with letters by a Larger Word Studios' Troy Petiri, and the cover brought to us by Dan Mora. Upon returning to Gotham, Red Hood finds himself pitted between a new villain named Tommy Max, that happens to be backed by Croc, and a team of vigilantes that arose out of the Joker War to protect the neighborhood, The Hill. To make things even more invested for Jason, the leader of the Vigilantes is one of his childhood friends named Dana Harlow. While Jason meets up with Dana over chicken and waffles at her restaurant, her sister Denise shows up. It appears that the sisters are on different sides of the same coin here as Dana is a vigilante and her sister is a news anchor that seems to side a lot with Nakano's anti-vigilante stance. As they finish up talking, Jason leaves and notices that they were being watched by Croc. While Tommy Max is going above and beyond to make a name for himself in the Gotham underworld, brushing off Black Mask, which I would have to say is probably a bad idea, uh, coming for him, and for some reason constantly using the catchphrase, piece by piece. Red Hood tracks down Croc and questions him. They don't come to blows, and in fact, Croc lets Red Hood know that his real job was just to be a distraction. Meanwhile, Strike a.k.a. Dana, and her team are going after Tommy Max in traffic by way of three pages of action panels before we get to a rather confusing conclusion to the chase. Strike directs her team about 
two people they captured during the chase. One is off-panel, the other is completely indistinguishable, and I can't figure out who these people are supposed to be. One goes to Gotham PD, and the other, she says, you know what to do. Red Hood says he won't let them torture him, whoever he is, and Strike replies that they have methods other than physical. While they wrapped things up, Tommy Max has Denise tied up. He tricked her into coming with a tip for a news story that he was covering and has plans to actually cut her up on live TV. Red Hood and Strike show up in the nick of time and quickly take down Tommy Max, though Jason does have to stop Dana from continuing to beat on him after he's subdued. Tommy Max is being sent to Arkham, and then we get some more confusion. Croc is conducting an arms deal with some people that I, again, don't recognize, though they seem upset with him. They are apparently still working with Tommy Max, so perhaps this isn't the last we see of him. Now the story closes with Jason at his apartment, and again, a little bit more confusion. He is in there with Dana, and it looks as though he's painting it and getting ready to move in. His things are there, there's paint on the wall, there's rollers propped up against the wall. And that's all despite the fact that Dana asks if he is staying, and he says no, but he's just taking care of the things that matter while he's there. He finds a small box as a housewarming present from Bruce, and Dana asks what it is, and we just get to see Batman smiling down from a rooftop nearby. Now, I enjoyed uh, the story in this issue of Red Hood. I was excited about the new possibilities for stories about Jason Todd with a new creative team, because he's one of my favorite DC characters. And the story part, so far, is working for me. I feel like there's holes in the story, but it's early, so I'm waiting for those holes to get filled in. I'm going to give Shaw and Martin Bro the chance to do that for me. But the art, um, that could really use a little improvement. Like I mentioned before, there were some panels that I couldn't even figure out what was going on. Uh, some, some were done really well. But on the others, it's just... Too much to ask of me to have to fill in the blanks for a story because I can't figure out what's going on in the pictures that I'm looking at. And unfortunately, because of the poor choices with the art team here, Sean Martinbro's score is going to have to get dragged down a little bit. And I, although I love the story, I'm going to have to give this a 6 out of 10. Ooh. You know, I think I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, it's not often I I grade a Red Hood book that low unless it really deserves it, but it it definitely deserved it this time. So the storytelling was good. I the whole time I was reading this, I was like, why should I get interested in this um Tommy guy? Thankfully, by the end, we find out that like, he isn't really much of the big bad as if the um hype up has supposed to be. There's supposed to be. Well, it's like 15 minutes of fame. So that was pretty good. The whole um, twist with Kill Croc was nice. That one I did not see coming. The issue was very fast. Lots of action. Just straight to, to the point. Um, which, if you compare to the last issue, it was a nice way. Because last issue, it was set up, set up, set up, set up, information. And this issue, all action right to the point. Makes um, a little bit of a sense to do it that way. Especially how this was a two-part issue. Sorry. Um, the new this team is this only a team of two people. Um, Strike and the other person. 
I'm trying uh, to flip through, through it. I'm like, I only see two of them at once. I only see two of them at once, too. You have Strike and then the other guy that's dressed up with a football helmet and in, in less sophisticated gear than she has on. <laughs> um, but they talk as though there is far more than that. Again, though, I've only seen that one additional character. So it could just be the two of them, but it, the way that things are like presented, it, it, it sounds like there's a small team there. No, I have not looked over the um, books in March. Did um, is this book c- coming back though? Red Hood, as far yeah. as I know, yeah, it is supposed to be. A, it is a supposed to be an ongoing series. I can check that uh, real quick. Because I'm kind of surprised that the end tag below only says the end doesn't say continues in March or anything like that. I do know that there's going to be a Batman Red Hood book by Chip Zdarsky. I don't see one specifically for Red Hood after Ooh. Future State. That kind of bums me out. Interesting, then. Oh. I think Bound. Real quick, it looks like we're going to be getting Red Hood in a few different stories. Um, but maybe not his own title, solo. at least right. not right off the bat. Well, it seems if a couple other books that have been either canceled or on an extended hiatus are also Aquaman and Legion of Superheroes, because apparently um, an article saying that they're not in the March selectations. Yep, nope. I'm seeing, I'm seeing, um... Oh, and I sent it. Uh, Batman Urban Legends is the. It's going to be a monthly anthology series, and it's going to have Batman, Red Hood, and Grifter in it. It looks like. So that might be pretty darn good. We will see how that works out. Grifter and Red Hood together in a book sounds amazing, and then just throwing Batman on top of it. Well, I guess we'll see what happens there. Interesting. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah. I Ho- hope ho- hopefully they do my boy right. Hopefully. Speaking of little tiny team-ups like those, we are going to move over to Batman Superman number 15, priced at three ninety nine, and written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Andre Brazan and Alejandro Sanchez, with letters by John J. Hill. That cover came by way of David Marquez and Aliado Sanchez, and the review is coming by way of Anthony. All right, now, our issue starts with Superman heading over to Arkham after Batman calls in the big gun himself. But our timestamp has this moment that takes place months ago. It's not an editor's note, it's just, it just says just a scene for some reason, which is a completely odd, because this whole issue takes place... Um, scene after scene after scene in the same time frame. So to have this being in my opinion, it just should have been a editor's note because that just threw me off a bit because I was trying, flipping through it saying, okay, is this going to take place again in the present? Are we going back to the present? No, it's just all in the past, which again I think it would have better served with an editor's note instead of just a thing that said Arkham Asylum months ago. Because to me as a reader, that shows that this moment, this scene, is months ago. And I'll be going to the present later on in the issue, which is false. Right. 
But that being said, we learned from Poison Ivy that Gundy is about to explode. And is this new information we're getting on him, or has this that whenever he comes back, he's a whole new person? Uh, to me, as far as I know, um, this is all brand new. Okay, I'm I'm cool with that because like you're adding more to the character, to the lore of him, which is Gray. Hopefully, the next person who writes Gundy carries the same way. Um, but again, unless I'm missing something, I feel as if Ivy should be green a little bit from what we saw in Heroes of Crisis. But being that aside, we also learned from her that the secret society of supervillains are on their way to capture Grundy and use them for their own gain because they feel as if he is their property. Now, as our society kind of tries to, like, to capture him, I wish we do get name tags by each of the members to know who is who. Our world's finest figures are our plan to help summon while also playing defense against the villains. We did get some great action scenes with from Superman. And we also get some great funny mo- fun moments with Batman trying to save Ronnie at times, like probably free falling out of a plane. Which was all pretty nice. So just like just the way that they work together. Same mission, different objectives, was very great. The scene with Granny falling out, I loved how it was this time of year's holidays. It had a bit of a Christmas vibe, only because it looks as if Santa and uh, the um, slut sleigh. Now, once we reach our destination, a surprising character pops up and offers his help as Granny goes to a vest. As our issue ends with with the usual trope of Batman Superman having a reflective talk. Although, I enjoyed this issue better than last issue. Um, last issue's art made it a little bit what I enjoyed the art. It didn't feel like a great... It felt more cartoonish, while this issue's art felt more serious, more to the point. The story was fun. It was a great read. The two things I wish was... Well, actually, just one thing I wish. I wish they had the name tags so I know who was who. Because this team was actually pretty cool to, like, watch them. And I hope that they do get, like, a, a like a book or something in the near future. Because they have, all have great chemistry together. I got this a 7 out of 10. And Which is I... Like, oh, go ahead. Now, um... Did Ivy not become green after Heroes of Crisis? Or is that only a one-time thing? Apparently, that's a depends-on-who's-writing-it thing. Got you, because I'm like, I thought you were supposed to be a full-on one with the green now. She was, um, the, she was an avatar as well. And, 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 I mean, that was a role, and then it was just take, Poison Ivy got the shaft lately. Um, I'm so upset with Sam Humphreys because of it. Uh, I hated that whole series to begin with, the way that it was written, but I kept writing it, or reading it, because it was, it was an okay read, and at least I got the Harley Poison Ivy team up, but Mm -hmm. I just, the way he put that, the, the end of that book, the way that run ended was ridiculous. He stripped the relationship between Poison Ivy and Harley, even though that's one that everybody if you're a harley fan you want harley to be with poison ivy generally speaking that's the general consensus yeah and 
um, he decided that she didn't need to, that she was gonna just part ways with Poison Ivy and hook up with Booster Gold, which makes zero sense at all. There's nothing about the two that even remotely says they should be together. Um, as far as this book goes, though, <laughs> uh, you can't go wrong with Andrea Bresman and Alejandro Sanchez. Their art is amazing. Uh, Williamson turned up the dial on the story here. It is just a Batman-Superman book, but I enjoyed it and had some fun times with it. It is just a comic book, but it's a comic book with a decent story and some damn good art. And because of that, I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10. And that is going to wrap up the first half of the show, and we will be right back after these messages. And we are back. We are going to jump right back into the books with Wonder Woman 769, priced at $3.99, written by Mariko Tamaki, with art by Steve Pugh and Romulo Fiardo Jr., letters by Pat Brozo, and the cover by David Marquez and Alejandro Sanchez. This is the final issue of Wonder Woman this year, and it just doesn't feel like it. Tamaki is moving to Detective Comics, and it seems as though there was a whole lot more story left to tell in this Wonder Woman arc. Perhaps there is a reason for that, though. Hugh and Fiardo Jr. make every page look bright and pull you into the craziness that happens in this issue, and I really enjoyed the use of non-traditional panels throughout this entire thing because it really works for the aesthetic of the title right now. Now, our story begins with Maxwell Lord barely clinging to life after the attack from his daughter previously in the story. Captions catch up and explain that Lord has been keeping his daughter drugged and controlled her whole life. She has all the powers of Maxwell Lord, but she lives in a fantasy world of her mind's own design. Maxwell Lord, according to her, is the King of Lies and Wonder Woman is the Ice Queen. Emma, who demands to be called Liar Liar, shows up at the hospital where Lord is being kept with the intention of finishing him off. After trying rather unsuccessfully to get through to Emma, Wonder Woman then decides that she will drop her lasso of truth in order to enter the delusion that Emma is living in. She now sees Emma as a knight and herself as a giant warrior just like Emma sees things. Wonder Woman uses Liar Liar's imagination against her, but says that she won't fight her. The action here lasts a few pages, as Emma refuses to believe that Wonder Woman has good intentions. It's not until Wonder Woman defends herself against a giant Mulani that seems rather upset that he was in a cage and didn't get any carrots, and she reminds herself that none of this is real. Emma's illusion immediately begins to fade as she runs in to find Maxwell Lord, who has been moved to a safer location. She then begins another psychic trip, but Wonder Woman is able to get through this time. The story closes as Wonder Woman relocates Emma to Themyscira so that she can learn how to control herself and her powers in a safe place while also learning how to stay present in the real world as opposed to the imaginary one. Emma is playing chess against one of the Amazons, and Maxwell Lord's influence takes shape again. Emma hears him in her mind telling her to play that if she wants to play the game, she better play to win. I like the art and the action scenes that we got in this issue. The imaginary world was a fun little trip to go into, and overall the issue was a fun read. That said, the wrap-up and the cliffhanger are closely tied together, and it just feels like nothing has really happened other than a several 
issue introduction of a somewhat confusing new character. Given that she's moving on to an even bigger title than Wonder Woman, I would have hoped to see some solid storytelling here. In its stead, we have a fun jaunt with an open ending. This wasn't bad, but it really could have been so much better. And because of that, the final issue of Wonder Woman this week gets a score of 6 out of 10. I would give a 6.5 out of 10. I enjoy the odd. Um, the storytelling was pretty cool to see. I just feel as if this way, again, I feel as if this way, like, it just is a little bit, like, halasso. Is that against the manure where you can, like, just, like, she can see what she can see now? If it feels... that threw me off. As it, yeah. Well, it just, it feels as though lately, um, regardless of what title she's being written into um if wonder woman finds herself in a sticky situation the answer lies in the lasso of truth and i mean it doesn't matter if it's wonder woman uh, justice league or death metal the uh lasso of truth seems to be her saving grace every time as of late so i really wasn't surprised to just see this implemented here does it make sense to me i mean only in the vaguest sense because yeah. she's letting go of the lasso so she's letting go of truth you know what I mean? So she gets it's sucked into Emma's stretch. delusion. It's 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 more than a bit of a stretch, but yeah. I mean comic books. So it's loosely defined and it it works. It just it doesn't work well. And again, I feel like the teasing way more. They I feel like the teasing the bunny is more than just a bunny, but they haven't really done much with the bunny. No, they just made the giant bunnies form completely part of her delusion and it's not real at all so nothing that we've seen is real at all so i can't figure out how it was that emma was actually able to stab maxwell lord he doesn't have teleportation powers he doesn't have the ability to walk through walls he doesn't have any of that so how did that pull off it doesn't make any sense and like i said uh, not a lot does man it just there's so much that's open-ended and that went unsaid I just, you know, if it wasn't for the amazing art, it would have it would have dropped down even further. I probably would have gave it a five out of ten. And it just at this point, it just seems that she's just like a whiny little brat. Because like for most of the issue, for almost all the issues, but the last two or three pages, she's whining, saying, "Where is he? Where is he?" And then she just talk, and then one woman just like talks her down. Oh no, no, just come me, surrender. It felt a little bit flat. The whole ending. So I, mm-hmm. I'm right there with you. I mean, and I'll, like, and that cliffhanger at the end was, oh, like again. Like, is it a cliffhanger? Is it a story setup? Because if it's a story setup, which it more feels like, then this is the longest story setup that I have read in a very long time because it's been going on since Tamaki took over the book. And the thing that ever sucks is like maybe shouldn't even include Maxwell because like right now you have to make sure that the next writer she came and touched Liar Liar. If so, you have to include Maxwell Lord into it. If you just left Maxwell Lord out of this, that's that'd be up for the next writer to decide what they want to do with, with him. Should he be part of her life? Well, I'm gonna say probably no. <laughs> But, you know, um, again, yeah, it just, it wasn't handled well. I think the story arc 
had a lot of potential. I just think it was mishandled, and that mm-hmm. bums me out a little bit. But all good stories have to come to a close. And speaking of coming to a close, here's one that's been around for a quite a while and has lasted with the same writer on it for, I do believe, longer than anybody else in a current yeah, title. Yeah. I think um, it's if too, I'm I not think. mistaken. Why are you a weather? Yeah. Batman Beyond number 50, priced at $3.99, written by Dan Durgens with art by Sean Chen, Sean Parsons, and Chris Sotomayor with letters by Travis Lanham and the cover by Dan Mora. Anthony, what happened? Now, first I'm going to say, man, that cover is just truly beautiful. It feels that it was very highly like, um, inspired Way by the, the TV show because it was just a, the background of Bruce looks just like it's in the TV show, the way that um, Terry is in the suit. And, of course, we get a glimpse yep. of a villain, which, again, unfortunately, kind of ruined the book for me a little bit. I'm going to get Wonder Woman, which at this point, you're like, Oh, she's gonna be in this issue. I'm very curious to see why. Like, what role will she have? Right. Now, our issue opens up with a hooded figure looking at Batman Beyond, causing some damage from the art of from the art and of the of his damage. Right from the start, we get a vibe that things are gonna get a bit wild. Cause I just could not believe when I saw the image of just Batman Beyond, just the just the what the effects that they had on the art, it was nicely done. And I was surprised to see that in a Batman Beyond book. Because we really have not got much like blood and guts. Well not like much guts, but we got like a good amount of blood just going through somebody and, like, okay, DC, let's see this stuff in more books. Because like, that was some when we have, don't really see much from you guys. Very unexpected, especially in this title. Yeah, I was like, Okay, because obviously we see this Batman Beyond, he's killing somebody, so we know that, you know, that's not Terry, which I will admit, I'm like, we, we've we seen this, what, two, three times already? Uh, yeah, I'm time. right there with you, with, with, what was her name, um, uh, Face, oh. was it False her, Face? Her? Yeah, at False Face, we saw that. False saw Face, this. and then, and then we just saw um, Bruce getting attacked, so I was like, is this linked to the previous... Is this linked to the previous arcs or not? At first, I was a little confused, mm-hmm. but it clears it up pretty quickly. Yeah, which, again, if I didn't see that that one character was not on the cover, I was like, oh, you will not even know who this person um, might be. Which, again, like... I... Yeah, it kind of spoils th- it for you. Yeah. If, you're a, if, you, if you're a Batman Beyond reader, it, it spoils... The, the cover does spoil the mystery for you. Mm-hmm. Because I was really into it. I was like, oh, awesome. Because I did put it down for a quick second. When I came back, I was like, oh, crap. I think I know who this is now. So. Well, the beginning scene, it was just beautifully done. The art was amazing. It captured my interest right from the start. But next we see Terry. He gets a call from Dana. Yes, she's still in the book, which is a bit out of a choice. You could have a huge list of, well, not a huge list. But you have a good amount of like, characters you get that can call Terry issues her someone who fade away about 25 issues ago who just out of nowhere makes her appearance back yeah just kind of pops back in for convenience sake yeah seems like uh, seems like you know what last issue let's do some bit of fan service from the TV show both Matt and Bruce were attacked by this Batman, Batman Beyond at the hospital 
But not only see Dana, we also see Melanie and Baba. Surprised not to see Max, because I feel like Max, she was in this book a little bit longer than Dana, and she had a better role to play. But then slowly but surely, she got pushed aside, which is unfortunate, because I honestly thought that this book was going to set up like a Batman Beyond type family with her on the computer, Matt Robin, Melanie as one of the sidekicks. That would been great, but no, we don't, we really don't get much of an expansion on the Batman Beyond. Well, no, do we that do? would have been cool, though. Mm-hmm. Now, after a visit to Bruce, we do see who the hood figure was from the beginning. It was Wonder Woman. And Bruce, he gives a hint of who the villain is, and the hint was for- forced and a bit of a stretch to go from a spill of water to ink. It's like, wait, what? Can you do that a little better? How can... <sighs> it may... Maybe they have some sort of pass with water. I, I, not percent sure. Um, I jumped on uh, Reaper, so m- maybe from the TV show or from before that YOU. But if so, you have a lot of readers who jumped on at that point, and now you're just saying you have this hint. Like, no, it should have done a little bit of a better job. Something. Yeah, probably. It does seem like the side characters and the villain were just pulled out because it would have been because they were convenient and it wrapped up the story real quick. But, um, I mean, as far as plot devices go, I suppose I could have come up with a lot worse than Dana and Ink. Oh, that was that. Like, there was, well, I mean, well, even when he, the villain, I didn't mind. I felt I kind of liked it later on, but the way that they found out who it was, I feel as if you could have been a little bit more, better per se um again maybe I, they have some sort of history with um water he does say later on that they defeat her last time by using water but again dropping a glass of water on the hospital floor it's like oh i know who, who the villain is like that's a bit of a stretch to go from yeah just a bit because uh wonder woman comes in and says perhaps he's trying to tell us something so my brain went um Aquaman did this? I honestly thought, well, well, like, <laughs> is, is Aquaman going to be called this way? I honestly thought I was going to trade you Aquaman. Like, well, we all have Wonder Woman. Let's get Aquaman now. Okay. Now, it would have been nice to see Melanie suit up again and help, especially like she's very, she was a very underutilized character. She could have been a key role. Because even throughout one that we do find ink, um, Terry does say how how badass and how dangerous she really is. So I don't know why they just didn't bring in like Melanie or Colin somebody to um give them an assistance. Now the, they do they do battle and this the action scenes was pretty cool to look, go from panel to panel. Um, it was awesome with the artwork. I got intrigued because she took down both Batman and Wonder Woman. Now, Batman and Terry, I can see, you know what? Uh, I feel as if like they are well evenly matched, if I do recall from the TV show. Um, yeah, they were pretty on par as far as... Ink definitely is not one character. is definitely not a villain that Batman just wipes the floor with. Yeah. 
But to see her take down one woman, where like, oh, well, it was cool. I'm impressed. I want to know more, more about you, Intrigue um, Inc. However, I feel as if one woman should have done a bit of a better job because she doesn't give much of a help at all. No, with as much work as she's been putting in on in all the other titles and in, in being the big hero whenever she shows up, you'd think she'd be able to handle... I mean, she's taken on gods, the darkest night. But, uh, you know, ink knocks her aside. So I, I get where you're coming from with that. Now, again, this is my personal um, opinion. I feel as if, like, maybe having Wonder Woman, you pick a different... Amazon, because obviously later on they are trying to like foreshadow a uh, just like Beyond type team. Or better, instead of having one woman, you pick another Amazon to take one woman's role. Who's like, or oh. Yara Floor, who's going to be the Wonder Woman of the future. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that probably would have made more sense. Yeah, because at least they're like, oh, maybe she's not fully capable or like she's like still learning or something, because like Wonder Woman, with all that she's been through, she should, she really should have not. She should have been a bit of better help. Like, yes, have her get back one time, but then have her get right back up and at least help take her down. But no, Terry actually takes it down by herself. She like, it was a bit of a shame, a little bit also a bit of a disgrace. I hate when they bring in a character only to like job to another character. Who that person who they job to should not be a job. They they are worthy enough to at least hold their own, or at least make them seem like they're gonna hold, hold their own. But no. Yeah, you. In order to knock down Wonder Woman, you you to me you would have to be pretty badass. Yeah, after they defeat Ink, uh, we do get Wonder Woman trying to like say, "Oh, I want you to meet some of my friends," and just. It says definitely not the end. So I guess we'll find out in March. Um, hopefully in March. <laughs> um, the next adventures for Terry. I gotta give this book a six point five out of ten. I'm I gonna enjoy. Go ahead. Um, the the art was great. I it had great action scenes. The dialogue was great as well. But the writing could have been a bit better, and I feel as if some of the choices again from Donna, I mean from Dana, the water spill, and just how one woman was written could have been a little bit better. I'm with you there. I'm gonna give this a six point five out of ten as well. Um it's better than just being a comic book, but there were some things that could have been done better. Ink definitely has no business being able to beat on Wonder Woman. Um, I also hope that Batman Beyond returns uh, eventually. I don't see anything in the solicits as far as March, but uh, that could always change. We don't know. So I am looking forward to that. Alternate timelines and everything. Who knows what we're going to see? It's always a mystery. Mm -hmm. And speaking of not knowing what we're going to see, we are coming close to the conclusion of Endless Winter. We've got Justice League Dark 29, which is part 7 of the Endless Winter arc. That is priced at $3.99 and written by Andy Lanning and Ron Mars, with art by Amanke Nualpan and Jun Chung, with 
uh, taking care of that main story, and the flashbacks are Marco Santucci and Arif Prianto. Rob Lee's got the letters in the main story with the Larger World Studios' Troy Petiri in the flashbacks, and the cover was done by Kyle Holtz and Dan Brown. So like I said before, this is part 7 of Endless Winter, the kickoff for the story arc this week. We start things out, as has been the usual, in the 13th century. Although the action here takes up 5 pages, it does go by very quickly. This is the last stand of the Frost King, at least back in the 13th century. The Viking Prince, who had death taken from him by Odin himself until he can die an honorable death, stands toe-to-toe with him while Hippolyta and Black Adam continue to fight against the Isimal hordes. As the Frost King plunges his giant blade through the Viking King, the Viking King grabs onto the Frost King and pulls him down with him as he falls into a large crevice that opened up in the ice. Viking King gets his honorable death and the Frost King fell with him. As that happened, he began return he began to return to his normal form. Now in the present day, Hippolyta, brought by Barry Allen the Flash, joins Justice League Dark at the Oblivion Bar where she is telling them the story of their original fight with the Frost King. They are discussing how they need more help. They can't find the Frost King and all of the heroes are active, every single one, and spread really thin. They bring up the parliaments of the Red, Black, Grey, and the Divided, but they are all dormant. They say the Green wants to help, but it's too weak because it lacks an avatar. This leads the team to try to reach out to Swamp Thing in the other place, as one naturally would do when you need help from the green. When they arrive, they are astounded at how beautiful the place is, but then they are quickly attacked. It's over, though, rather fast, because Swamp Thing realizes who it was that came in. They ask him to return and help fight the Endless Winter and the Frost King, but he cannot leave the other place or the Upside Down Man would be able to return and take control once more. But perhaps there is a way for the green to help out with a little help from somebody else. Back at the Oblivion Bar, Bobo, Dr. Fate, and Man Bat sit around a table while Hippolyta tries to summon an old friend. She succeeds in the spirit of John Haroldson, the Viking King, appears. She informs him of all that has happened, and he says he wishes he could help, but he doesn't see how he could. And that is when Wonder Woman and Zatanna return to the Oblivion Bar holding a piece of Swamp Thing. It is part of Swamp Thing's body, but it holds none of his consciousness. Wonder Woman throws the clump of swamp onto the floor, and it begins to wrap itself around the Viking King. It overtakes him, and his first words as a corporeal body is, The Green has a new champion. This is not Ram V's Justice League Dark, but it is the starting point that he left for them. This issue does an excellent job picking up the pieces left from the previous arc and weaving it in seamlessly with the story being told now for Endless Winter. I had a very fun time with this issue, and so far, it is my favorite issue to date in the arc. The art and the colors from cover to cover were fantastic, and for the first time, I will say that the entire issue is done well, not just the flashbacks. I had a whole lot of fun with this one, and I bet you would too. And on that note, my final score for this one is 8.5 out of 10 with this being part 7 of the story I cannot give it anything higher than a 7 as well Um, 
I it's seven out of ten. I enjoy the art. Um, like the story. However, we haven't gotten much. I like the Justice League story, the Justice League dark story part of it. However, we haven't gotten much of our overall story. We are two issues away from the conclusion. After as if we just barely started, like we're not getting much at all. It feels as if like most of most feels like all of these issues are their own separate stories. However, the first two pages that's when we're like getting our story. They're not very combined. They're not uh, only like every other issue. We're having them be connected. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. It's it does seem as though every issue is a little story until it unto itself, where mm-hmm. it's only connected by the larger theme. I have a feeling that the last issue we get for this is going to do its best to wrap all of that stuff up, where basically every issue is telling us the history of what happened before in the 13th century, and then today it's holy crap, look how bad this is, what are we going to do? I do feel like we're going to get a really quick, fast tie-up on this one. I do feel that. I just hope it's done well. And um, if, I think it's on page, was it, uh, page 7 or 8 or so, with Mascow, and uh, Ma- Mascow, who is, what flash is that on the ground? The female that's being yeah. knocked away. Um... Isn't her name Inertia? In, isn't Inertia um, one of Bart Allen's um, rivals from the 31st century? And that's a guy, I believe. Um, You're right. That's that, yeah. Crap, who is this? I feel like I know who this is. Oh, um, oh wow, I can't remember what her name is, but there's a female speedster that's around right now and has been in Joshua Williamson's art. Avery? Avery. That's you who think that's. I, I can't think of another one that it could be. Only because how the her like her belt, the design looks a little bit different. Avery the Flash. Avery Ho. Oh yeah, that's her. She's got a she's got purple tints to her. Although um Avery uh, Ho should be the Flash of China. Okay, so that and also that doesn't quite look like this because I put a few images of Avery Hill, and um, her hair looks a bit different. Not to mention that Avery Ho is obviously Chinese. He's a part of the Chinese Justice League. Um, so given that, it, it does look like she may be a bit whitewashed here. She's in a well, blue outfit, but everybody kind of has like a winter theme going on, except for those who have the iconic costumes that can't change or never do, Flash, Black Adam, Superman. But everybody well, else it, seems to have a bit of a, a bluish or purplish theme going on when they're out fighting in the out fighting in the winter. All I can think of is either this is this is Avery and they they whitewashed her a bit, which golly, I hope not. Um or it is another speedster and perhaps this is Jesse Quick. Who did come back? Um, is her hair that color though? No, not that I think. Uh, not that I can remember. I think Jesse Quick's hair is blonde. Yeah, I thought it was um, blonde. It... But all right, so I'm not really sure. I really hate to think that they did 
do that to an established character. So this maybe this is Jesse Quick. Maybe this is supposed to be Avery Ho. It definitely does not look like either one of them. Or maybe maybe one of them teamed up with Cobalt. <laughs> but uh, if anybody out there does happen to know who this female Flash is that's been knocked aside, give us a holler and let us know. We are dying to find out. All right, and after wrapping up Part 7, we will move on to Part 8 of Endless Winter with Black Adam's Endless Winter Special Number 1. Priced at $3.99, written by Andy Lanning and Ron Mars with art by Brandon Peterson and Mike Atea in the main story with Mark Marco Santucci and Arif Prianto in the flashback, letters by Wes Abbott in the main story, and a larger world studios Troy Pateri in the flashback. Dale Eaglesham and Mike Atea took care of that cover for us. Anthony, what happened in Black Adam? Well, just like every other issue, our issue begins with a flashback scene, and we even see a recent character come back, which I was a bit disappointed in a way because they made it sound as if Swamp Thing was gone for now. He like he can't come back for a long, long time, and now he just pops up. Hey guys, don't mind me. I'm back. Well, it was offered a little bit of an explanation. It said now that the now that the winter is beginning to cease, the green can come back. And can can start to come back. So perhaps while Endless Winter was going on, when he destroyed Swamp Thing's body that one time, there just was not any green at that point that could respawn him, so to speak. So that that's kind of the that's kind of the impression that I got. So now that it's weakened, he's got the green has a little bit more strength, he's able to come through. I guess I maybe I kind of just maybe just wish because how it just happened him being destroyed. I kind of just wish maybe we saw a baby swamp thing and then just progress a bit. Yeah, but if we went with baby swamp thing, there would be an und an unending barrage of hate for copying baby Groot. But to be fair, every. No matter what someone does, someone's going to copy you, and you need to copy somebody in order to be better. Let's look at the mo- movies, for example. They saw what Su- Superman and Batman, Marvel copied them, did the X-Men and Sony and Spider-Man films, um, which Mar- which the MCU did, and then DCU. You copy off of your, your rival to make yourself better or increase it. I'll give you that. It's definitely a practice that almost every comic publisher out there has done, um, Marvel and DC most famously, mm-hmm. off of each other. Well, even, um, what was it, two years ago with the eight, the New Age of Heroes, where they basically said that this is the Marvelized characters, because they said that because DC, well, they said that Marvel is not using Fantastic Four, they're going to make their own Fantastic Four team and call them the Terrifics, which they were literally Fantastic Four type with the same powers, with a strong person, somebody who stretches, somebody who can go invisible. You had almost exact same powers as them, so yeah, they don't like. They are not afraid to um say, "Oh no, no, yeah, no, this is a, a Spider-Man type character." But that being said, onto the issue. Now, in the present, we have Maxi. We have multiplexes. All over all the stag industries, 
Now, they're all trying to find something, and we find out what they're trying to find, because they're all working for Black Adam, and they're all trying to find the people trapped in the ice. And our team of bad guys are about to take on Stag's goons, and our team are the of the team that we found all the way in the beginning with Rampage, Catman, Silver Banshee, and Icicle as well. So you and Reed were both right when you guys were like, guy, you, you, I said, I don't even know why they're here. And you guys were like, well, they'll be coming back, duh. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you guys were right. I'll give you that one. You got me there, man. <laughs> now, before I said that, I want a book of that other team that we saw in, um, oh, man. In Batman Superman, but I actually also want a a bad guy team book of this team as well. So I do love the little interactions that we have with Catman, Esco, and Silver Banshee, and the designs are cool as well. I do like the way that these guys are written. Um, these are, with the exception of Catman, I can't mm-hmm. stand any of the rest of them. Yet I they they didn't even annoy me in this book. So yeah. that that would that was especially Icicle Junior. That is really impressive. Rampage I could give a crap about, but Icicle Junior annoys me to no end, and he didn't this time. So that's impressive, guys. <laughs> like if we could get like a five six issue mini series just on on this on him, I'll I'll be down there. Give some more um mini series for characters who don't really get much of a shine or who not people may not know out of because. Let's be fair. The last time people may not know, people may know some of Banshee only from the TV show, shows because she is barely in the books. Just like Rampage and Multiplex, mm-hmm. they, they don't get used a whole lot anymore either. Sad but true. Like these characters, you make new characters, but then you forget about your old characters. Now, all I can say about this scene is the like I just. Enjoy it. The artwork, it was great. Um, the characters that we get, awesome. I love stuff with act, action, and we do get quite a bit of action. We, we get more than quite a bit of action. And the amount of action we get is truly beautiful, and how it, was, how it unfolds when you go from panel to panel. And we see Black Adam as he appears, and for some reason, the artwork on his face, it reminds me a bit of a Shazam. So that might be one of my nitpicks for the issue, is just the way that the face of Black Adam. The rest of the issue is just a beautiful action that leaves on a cliffhanger that just does nothing. Um, I gotta give this book a 6 out of 10. I love the R. Great action. But again, it barely does nothing for the story. What about you, Josh? What are your thoughts on the book? I enjoyed it. Um, it is hard not to love the art that happened in this book. It was great. Uh, the story was good. It progressed it. I uh, I think it worked as a great follow-up to the previous issue. It's not as good as the as Part 7. Um, on its own, it's not as good as Part now, 7. Now, how much did it progress the story? Uh... It, to be honest with you, not a whole lot, just enough to set us up for the conclusion. Um, like I mentioned earlier, it does feel like we're going to get one book of just everything being wrapped up, and that is exactly what's going to happen in 
endless winter issue number two. That said, uh, I really hope they do it right. The, the writing that has been going on so far, it doesn't feel like every issue was connected, but I have this feeling, obviously, uh, in the next issue, all of those threads are going to come together and we see all of, all of those things working together. I'm very curious if in the next issue we're going to get a uh, previously section back in the 13th century because I feel as though that part of the story is completely Wrapped done. Mm-hmm. You know, I so, so. Um, so I'm, I, I hope that they use those pages to give us more story of the present day. Um, that said, I, I enjoyed it. It was all right. Again, not as good as the previous part, but let's see where it goes. I give this a seven out of 10. And that brings us to the very last issue of the week. Death metal secret origin. Number one of one priced at five ninety nine, written by Scott Snyder and Jeff Johns with a varied art team. We had Jerry Ordway in Hi-Fi on pages 1 through 7 and 35 through 38. Francis Manipal and Ian Hearing on pages 8 through 13 and 32 through 34. Ryan Benjamin, Richard Friend, and Rain Barreto pulled together for pages 14 through 21. And Paul Pelletier, Norm Ratman, and Adriano Lucas took care of 22 to 31. Letters were done by Rob Lee, and that beautiful cover was handled by Ivan Reyes, Joe Prado, and Alex Sinclair. Although this is titled Death Metal The Secret Origin, this is not the origin of death metal being retold. And if I'm being honest, I really, really thought that this is what that was going to be. I'm glad that it isn't because we get a much better story in its place. Snyder and Johns managed to take 48 pages and a character that has consistently annoyed me since his introduction into the DC Universe in 1985 and not only offer a great story with it, but they managed to make me care about Superboy Prime and by the end of the issue, I actually like him. We start the issue where all good origin stories start at the very beginning. Clark Kent of Earth Prime lives on an Earth where the events that happen in the main universe actually happen in comic book pages in his. He felt so close to Superman, even idolized him. Obviously, his parents did as well, naming him after Clark Kent. We see him and he's reading the latest issue of Superman when a bunch of bullies show up and tear up the comic while he watches. His best friend Lori, whose parents own the store, steps out and kicks the bullies out. A year goes by through some panels, and the two become inseparable. They dress to go to a costume party with Clark Kent dressing up as Superman, ironically enough, and he gets the idea to try and fly, which doesn't go very well for him because he just falls and lands face first in the sand of the beach that they're all at. He gets back up, and that's when he actually starts to fly at that point. He flies off to investigate something he saw in the distant skies, and that something was Superman. He's there to ask for his help to combat a great evil in the main universe. Superboy Prime joins his hero without ever saying goodbye to his world, which is destroyed while he's helping our heroes save theirs. Now, in the main continuity and touched on again here, when he later has the chance to try and save his world and bring it back, regardless of the cost, he is seen as a monster, and rightly so, 
In present day, he is there with the rest of the heroes and the villains, though he is still not trusted by either. Everyone is scared of Superboy Prime. He can hear all the negative things that people around him are saying about him and he goes to sit alone. Crypto goes to him, of all people, and starts to chip away at him. But Connor Kent then tries to pick a fight about whether or not Prime would hurt the dog. These people are nervous for a good reason. Superboy Prime is essentially Superman with none of the weaknesses, and that makes him a pretty formidable opponent. The battle begins, and Superboy Prime is a part of it on our side. He flies off to battle the Darkest Knight alone, and they trade incredible blow after incredible blow, setting off explosions whenever fist collides with body. Superboy Prime gets the better of the Darkest Knight, and he lays him flat. And that's when he can feel the power from the Darkest Knight, and he knows that it could be his. He could destroy what's left of this world, and reform his with Mori and everything. And just as he starts to be filled with hatred, guess who shows back up but Crypto? And that chips away a little bit more. Now that bought the Darkest Knight enough time to start to recover, and he sees his chance to make his offer again to give Superboy Prime the world he wants if he only fights on the side of the Darkest Knight. Prime can actually see the world being offered to him by He Who Laughs, and it's a world where he could be the hero he always genuinely wanted to be, but it wouldn't have his parents, and it wouldn't have Lori. So he tells Crypto to go, he balls his fist so hard that it begins to combust and actually light on fire. And he punches the Darkest Knight one last time with everything he has. That's when the evil worlds begin to disappear as Superboy Prime falls from the sky. Crypto finds him and howls in grief. Crypto is the only person who knows the person responsible for saving everyone else. Even the Eradicator can't make out who it is but he can see that whoever it was has died. The next page shows us that the universe is not always twisted and uncaring. Superboy Prime is back as Clark Kent in his parents' home, looking down at a comic book that shows what just happened to him in real life. Lori walks in, and of course it turns out that Superboy also has a dog. It's Crypto, sans cape, and as they are walking down the street... Regular Clark Kent on regular Earth Prime sees a kid running out in front of a car, chasing a ball. And reminiscent of the first appearance of Superman, we get him lifting a green sedan to save someone. He's back on his world with all of his people, and he has his powers too. This is a second chance for Superboy Prime. Let's hope he doesn't blow it. I absolutely love this. I, I've never picked up an issue of a character that I hate. And I hate Superboy Prime. Read that thing cover to cover and walk away liking that issue. I've had plenty of people who have given me pause. I have plenty of creators that have given me something to think about. But this book, man, this book took a character I couldn't stand and actually made me like and appreciate him. And, and for the first time ever in my entire life, I'm going to say, I can't wait to see a new issue with Superboy Prime. 8.5 out of 10, man, and I think it's well-deserved. What did you think, Anthony? I think we're going with a 9 out of 10. The art, it was amazing. Just beautifully done. Um, story, it was great. The Jeff Johns feel, it did get a, at times when um, we see crypto come up. It was a nice issue. 
that really definitely have if I had to put a book of the week, which later on we're gonna discuss it, this is definitely my book of the week by far. It was nicely done. Like I wish Jeff Johnson did a few more issues in the Death of Marathon because it did a lot. So wait. Snyder and Johns together do one heck of a job writing. I'll I'll definitely have to give that man. For so just sure. so, this was a whole sure. book. So does that mean that Batman Who Laughs is now dead? That's the impression that I got. Ooh. He he socked him so hard that the new Earth disappeared. So I'm assuming that the Darkest Night is now gone. So Perpetua was gone. The Darkest Night is now gone. So what happens in the next yeah, issue that's, of Death Metal? This is big. This is unless unless they unless he didn't kill the Darkest Knight and he just destroyed all of his powers. I suppose we'll have to see. It it does give me pause for the next issue yeah. of Death Metal. It makes me worry about the ne- de- next issue of Death Metal. I hope it's done it's a right. Tie-in issue. But this book, yeah, this book cannot be graded. According to what might happen yeah. next week. So yeah. we're going to have to wait and see, man. All right. And that is it for the books, everybody. So now it is time for your favorite podcast hosts. We are going to pick our top three books of the week and our favorite panel slash moment. Anthony, what were your top three? Well, book of the week has to go to um, Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Secret Origin. Man, I I really am now looking forward to the next issue when I mean the next week when we have another long title. This is not a long title, but quite a few of these death metal t- tie-ins have long titles. Yes, they do. That's what I was gonna scroll up like, oh, so I could not butcher it. Yeah, so death metal, um, the secret origin book of the week, followed by Detective Comics ten thirty three. Now, my third book of the week. Number three slot, I was choosing which ones to go from because I feel I get mostly um, sevens for the other books. So I think I'm going to go with a Batman. Makes it a little hard to choose, doesn't it? It does. I'm like, a few of the books, they they were okay. They didn't stand out as much. I'm going with Batman Superman issue 15. All right. My top three of the week is going to have to be coming in at number three is Detective 1033. Um, Detective Comics 1033. I really liked that issue. It was it was a lot of fun to read. Um, I gave it the same score as the book in number two, but I had to give the book in, uh, in the second place a little bit more leverage because that's Justice League Dark Endless Winter. I loved that thing, man. And then, of course, number one, just like you, I also chose Death Metal Secret Origin. It was just a fantastic story. What was your favorite moment of the the week? Probably my moment of the week had to come from man, because I got two stuck in my head either in Detectives or in this one. I think I'm going to go with this issue right here and just the moment of crypto coming in both times. Well, both seen crypto both times. Both when um, Superboy Prime is sitting on the rocks, being lonely, and he needs somebody there to like, have, have, just boost up his spirits. 
And then later in the issue, when Soon Boy Prime goes back to his to his world and sees that he has a dog, I'm like, okay, you know, that just put a smile on my face just just to see his reaction, just to get this happy happy moment was great. Right, that was a great one, and that moment almost got my favorite moment of the week, but uh, I had to give it to the Return of Swamp Thing in the JLD book. I didn't see that coming, man. I did not see that coming at all. I wanted Swamp Thing to come back so much. Uh, but that that is that is cool. Now it's not just our Swamp Thing. It's Swamp Thing uh, mixed with the Viking King. And uh, we'll have to see where this goes. But it was definitely awesome to watch him form there. That last big, huge splash page where he says the green has a new champion was just amazing. So that wraps up the good. Now let's take a look at the bad. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the biggest thinker. Oh, that's nasty. I'm going to let Anthony go first on this one because I think everybody knows what mine is. Comics 1028. Um, it has some good moments. However, the good did not outweigh the bad, unfortunately. Um... The art, it, was, it has been good art. Unfortunately, um, two scenes were good. Other than that, the whole rest of the book was pure crap. Action Comics 1028 would be my stinker of the week. And that one makes my stinker of the week as well. Cover to cover, even though this is the best issue produced by the uh, Bendis and uh, Jar Jar team, it still falls way flat especially when compared with the rest of the books that came out this week. Um, absolute stinker. I'm glad that this creative team is moving on to other things. I can only hope that uh, that they take better care of those properties than they have of the Superman ones. Right now, they are on the stink list. And that's the show. As always, thanks for listening. And remember, you can feel free to reach out and contact us at any time. We love talking about this stuff with people. Visit campsite.bio forward slash not a robot to find us on your favorite podcast platform. And patreon.com forward slash not a robot podcasts for early and additional content for as low as a dollar a month. Don't forget that if you sign up before January 7th to the to the $1 tier or higher, you are automatically entered into a drawing where you will receive a $25 gift card. You have until the 7th, that's when the drawing occurs, and we will release the winner on the following podcast. Notarobotpodcast.com will take you everywhere you need to go to visit us. So, until next time, be good to each other. And don't be a robot. Domo Arigato, Mr. Robot.